0: Like our content? It's funded by viewers like you. Please consider becoming a sustaining supporter of New Church Live today. Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Chuck Blair of New Church Live. Great to have you joining us today. And whether you're joining us from our studio audience, or you're joining us from wherever it might be, whatever day that might be, it's wonderful to have you here today. And, and it's interesting as a pastor, as, as you walk through life, you know, you just, people come to you and they, they are getting good conversations and, and people talk about concerns all the time. One of the concerns I hear about all the time is this concern about how divided we appear as a culture, how divided things seem in life and in communities and in in the nation and in the world. And I don't know anybody who's like, you know what, that divided is a great thing. No one one talks about it that way because somehow we know that 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 is less than our humanity. That is less than what the world can be. And today we're taking a look at the idea of of how is it that we work through these conflicts. And it's not about sort of one side needs to be right, one side needs to be wrong, one is this, one is that. It's about how do we understand, given that there are disagreements, given that there are challenges in the world, given that we do see things differently, how do we create a unity out of that? How do we move past just the divisiveness into, into a place where problems can actually get solved. And boy, Christianity, Christian new church thought has so much to offer on that. Because I I think, folks, I like this New Yorker cartoon, and I thought, yeah, we all need this. It's it's a cartoon. It says, anger management, Republicans to the right, Democrats to the left. (laughs) I like that cartoon because we all need a little anger management. Because I think both sides are angry in the political divide. And and you could say that in the church divide. You could say that in the community divide. You you know, take your peck. There's a lot of anger out there. And how is it that we move through to something else? How is it that we come back to the two great commandments, which I'm going to read for you here. Many of you know these two great commandments. This is from Matthew 22. Here they're talking to Jesus. Teacher. Which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. In other words, the second is every bit as important. Love your neighbor as yourself, as the law and the prophets hang on these two great commandments. It's interesting, folks, because because here's Jesus saying, and he's saying, like, look, all the law all the law, all, the, all our opinions, everything needs to hang on these two things. It literally needs to come back and touch on love of, the God, love of God, love of other people. And again, there's a third love in there, love of self, which is integrated as well. And today, and again, hopefully this, this will make sense. You know, it's, it's not just a, an inspired way to see the world. It's also about an identity where we learn to, to live into those things. Literally, that becomes part of our identity. And that's what we're hoping to share with you today. Today's going to be an interesting interesting conversation, I think, because part of what I want to talk about today is, is what would hell want us to believe about other people? I want us to take a look at, yeah, how might, how might the, the lower angels of our nature be at work to create more and more of a divided, divided society? And it's not about demonizing in other people. It's not about saying, oh yeah, we're gonna target this group as being the response, the cause of it all that, because that's just not true. It's about looking in ourselves and seeing, oh yeah, this is where I can feel myself, where I can feel those lesser angels of my nature at work. So, what I want you to do is this, folks. Here's the question: What would hell want you to believe about other people? And you can smile about this, it's this not like super serious, but. Think, what would hell want you to believe about other people? Literally, what would hell want you to believe about others? And as we often do here in New Church Live, you can do it today if you're watching live, you can do it weeks from now if you're watching online, you can text your answer into me at 215-740-3662. That's 215-740-3662. And with that, folks, welcome. It's great to have you here. Welcome to New Church Live.
1: Be revealed. We're all here to grow. We're all here to serve. And we got to make it, got to make it work. Out on the streets of those great big cities where the sky... curve You know we got to make it, got to make it work The dark clouds come but then the dark clouds go And the sun was shining through it all I know Into the sky From out of the dirt Got to make it we just got to make it work said we got to make it got to make it work you know you gotta give it everything you got just to rise above we'll be taking aim in the name of love from moscow to make it got to make it work ooh we got to
0: Thank you guys for a beautiful song. And that's, that's where we want to get to. We want to arrive at a point where, yeah, let's make this work. Let's make this work. Because it doesn't feel terribly workable right now. I, just a couple of quick responses that we, that we got from people um, that, are, that are spot on. Hell would have you think others are so different from you that common ground is an impossibility. Another, another reference that I really liked, a couple of other ones. What I know is true, what you know is not. Again, that's what hell would have you believe. The quote unquote, they aren't as caring as I am. And again, feel free to text me throughout the service what your answers might be. Because I, I think that's true, folks. And, and, and we kind of hold those things as truth, you know, truth, quote unquote. And we have to have a much more sophisticated view of other people, much more sophisticated view of other people. What, I mean, what do I mean by that? Well, one of the pieces of of Christian New Church theology that, that's fascinating is is how hell actually works. And hell wants to get us spun out. And that's how hell works. That's how, how you know, love of self, love of the world, gone, amok, that's that's how it works, that's how it functions, that's what it does. And I'd ask you to think about this: this point that I read that was really fascinating. The challenge interestingly, might come down to this, might come down to the concept of contempt. Might come down to the concept of contempt. When we have contempt for other people, what it feeds, and this is a piece of Christian New Church thought here, what it feeds is malicious distortions. I like that phrase. A little old-fashioned, but I like that phrase. So if I approach something in life, if I walk into something or I go up to meet someone, and I go up to them with a sense of contempt, that contempt will warp the way I see them into all these malicious distortions that just aren't true. Now, some of them might be true, but the vast majority are not. And then it creates kind of this this unholy cycle where then it steps in, it creates a malicious distortion, and then the malicious distortion feeds back into even more and more contempt. And that's where we have to see, we have to see our way clear of that. It was interesting a few weeks ago, sitting with a group, and you know, as, as churches are, right? We have different positions, you know, from, from way over here to way over here, all these different perspectives. And we shared a little process, and the process was simply like, well, what what do you want me to know about your job and and how you hold it and and what can I do to help you? Just that simple. And again, a very wide spectrum of people. And it was interesting, you know, one of the answers almost everyone had is I want you to understand, and this is again from way over here to way over here, what I want you to understand is how lonely I am a lot of the time. Isn't that interesting? Because, this contempt and this malicious distortion, it creates a certain loneliness because it divides us from other people. And it means that when we walk into the world, we walk into the world, not curious, but we walk into the world simply not trusting other people. And what happens, folks, when when this starts going is hell starts to have a little bit of a field day. And this this is really important, this next slide, really important. Hell is only interested in conflict, not problem solving. (laughs) This This is big. Think about that for a second. The mechanism that hell uses in our lives is to keep us in conflict. That's its only interest. Now, for many of us, and I'm putting myself in this, we somehow believe that the conflict will solve the problem. It is true that problem solving does involve conflict, but please don't see conflict as as there's a cause-effect relationship here where the best way to solve a problem is to get into more conflict. For those of you who are married, how well has that worked? Probably not terribly well. So we have to kind of see and we have to understand that, 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 that hell, is, hell is totally vested in this idea of no, we just as hell, we just want you in the conflict. That's all we want you in. We don't want you to look over here at what it means to solve the problem or to even ask the question, how do we solve this problem? I mean, folks, just, just think about how much conversation today, and there's a lot of it, really is just about the conflict. It's not about like, okay, let's step back, well, how how would we solve this then? I mean, how many times does that get asked? Versus statements around, can you believe they, or can you believe how, or you know, all that stuff. I think this is incredibly important because if we're just into the conflict, if that's where hell wants us spun out, of course, the best way to do that is malicious distortions and contempt where we just learn to look at other people, learn quote unquote, to look at other people with contempt and in so doing, we find that the world kind of becomes this, this carnival funny mirror thing where we really are no longer seeing people anymore. We're just seeing our projections. And that's true any side of any issue, from the far on this side to the far on this side, doesn't really matter the issue. That same energy can be there where you see a lot of contempt and malicious distortions from whatever side that might be be arguing. This means, folks, and this is where the tripwire is, if you think of life kind of moving through phases, right, from disagreeing to demonizing to destructing, it's interesting to take a look and, and, and to take a look at, at how maybe demonization, that's, that's the key to maybe getting out of this cycle. Folks, disagreements are absolutely inevitable. Absolutely. It's very easy for us to get tricked that no, the perfect society is where there are no disagreements. Not necessarily, see there's there's high conflict and there's good conflict. High conflict goes way off the rails with contempt and malicious distortion and just focused on the conflict itself. But really good conflict means here's this problem. How are we gonna answer it? How are we gonna wrestle with it? And it's actually able to say that your perspective matters And their perspective matters, and somehow, how do we bring these perspectives together? It doesn't mean necessarily, I'll come back to this in several ways, it doesn't mean necessarily that every perspective has validity to it. That's not what it means. But it means that that I have to work at kind of pulling those things together. In what spirit? Love the Lord your God, and love the person right in front of you. Two great commandments. Love the Lord your God, love the person right in front of you. When we were talking about this at Sermon Writing Team, it was was interesting because the the consensus was, if if you look at that chart, the real tripwire, the place where it goes off the rails is right at that little pointy edge between disagreeing and demonizing. That little thin membrane there where we flip over into demonizing others, that's the problem. Not please, listen, this is so important, and I say this for myself as, as, for, as well as for everyone who's listening today. Disagreeing is not the problem. Disagreeing is part of the human condition. As we say often in here, one of the beautiful sayings of life is, what's your point of view? And you, you sort of break that down. When we break that down, it's the idea that each of us only gets a point We just get, you know, think of a starry sky. Each of us gets one little point of light that we see from. That's it. So we need other points of view. Does not mean we have to agree with them? Doesn't mean they're right. It just means they're part and that there's a way that we have to learn to capture this wholeness. And I I mean, this is a little aside. I think that's why Jesus is, is so consistent in the New Testament. Like you look at any group, he hung out with them. Roman soldiers, the occupying powers, yep, hung out with them. Pharisees and Sadducees, the clergy who he so often like needling, he's also hanging out with them. Tax collectors, hanging out with them. Fishermen, hanging out with them. Carpenters, hanging out with them. You know, he's, he's hanging out with the whole group. I mean, that in and of itself is a not-so-subtle, subtle lesson of the New Testament, of how Jesus would have us live. Because part of it, folks, and this is, this is like, you know, when I was thinking about this sermon, I sort of had this, you know, in my mind, this image, it's like a Jenga tower trying to, trying to pull some of these pieces apart because they, they all kind of fit. It's interesting when that, when that thin mem- membrane between disagreeing and demonizing, so much of that is, is when we get into self-righteous moral, quote-unquote, clarity. Now, I want to be really careful with this as a pastor there is a desperate need for moral clarity. We have to know what true north is. We have to understand, we have to to stand in a place where where we are super clear that there is right, there is wrong, there is such a thing as moral clarity. The problem though, is when we take moral clarity and we slide two words in front of it, self-righteous. Self-righteous moral clarity is not good. Because, folks, notice the first word in there. Self. It's all about me. It's all about my righteousness. It's all about my clarity. It's not about a clarity that looks to God. It's not about a clarity that looks to other people. It's not about a clarity that looks to the better angels of our nature. It's really about a clarity, and it's disguised here. It's disguised, and it's it's all about self. Self Self-righteousness. And what that means is, is that creates this, this need, this need to be right. And that's, again, a problem. We're going to come back. We're going to loop back on that in a minute. With that, folks, just, just think of where this leads, right? So I have this, this very, very self-righteous moral clarity. And the clarity in quotes here. It's not real moral clarity, even though it can masquerade that way. It's really my own selfish opinion, my own self-opinion. What that does, if we approach people with this real self-righteous moral clarity, what happens is our field of vision gets more and more narrow. And we box people in. In this weird, strange way, and in the book, uh, High Conflict by Amanda Ripley, she she did a wonderful job talking about this. I never had thought of it this way. But I think, again, this is what Jesus is warning us about. What happens is it squeezes people down into this very simple view of this person. It becomes narrow and it becomes quote unquote simple. We no longer see life in the round. We see life in a box. When we had that gathering that I mentioned at the beginning of the service today, if you had told me that some of those folks felt lonely. I would have not, wasn't expecting that answer at all. Because I think we can all struggle with putting people in a box and we don't allow them emotions like loneliness. We don't allow them emotions like love or care or hope. We just really believe they're just this thing, this prescribed thing that I have decided self-righteousness, self-righteousness, that I have decided they are, and that I'm the one who's able to, with moral clarity, firmly place them in that spot. That simplicity, folks, is dangerous. I mean, I, I think that's, again, why, why Jesus asks so many questions. It's like uh, Richard Rohr, a Franciscan who I really enjoy. It's... I think he did a study. It was like Jesus asks 123 questions in the New Testament and offers, I don't know, I'm going to make up the number here. I don't have it at hand. You know, a dozen statements. I mean, like 10 times difference between questions he was asking and statements he was making. That's that's a beautiful way to kind of think of holding the world with with that kind of deep softness. Because... It's interesting, right? You think malicious distortion, self-righteous clarity. You think about narrow, narrow view of people. And what that creates is a huge amount of frustration on both sides. Do you want to be put in one of those boxes? Do you? I imagine not. And even that that when we do that, because I'm sure we all do, even when we with self-righteous moral clarity, quote unquote, put somebody in a box, it doesn't feel good. I mean, you may feel right, but you're not going to feel good. And I want to come back again just to reinforce, folks, that it doesn't mean not to have moral clarity. We must unequivocally have moral clarity. Unequivocally have it. It's like a North Star. Once once the North Star disappears and you're out on the ocean, you're in trouble. So please don't ever hear this as like moral clarity is a bad thing. No, moral clarity, your moral clarity, your point of view is critically important. It's just about a softening around the edges that allows other people to exist in our world as well. That's where, again, from a Christian New Church perspective, variety can be perfection. So what is, what is the way out of all this? Well, it's, it's interesting, folks, you know, that, that, that what won't work when we just start with that, this is a quote again from Amanda Ripley, telling people to reject hate and choose love will not work because people swept up in high conflict do not think of themselves as full of hate, even if they are. They think of themselves as Right. That's a really good quote. So if you're trying to argue someone out of it, that's not really gonna work. It's, it's like we need a whole new perspective on this, not a whole new line of argument. Yesterday, we, we touched on this a little bit. I mean, I, I, think it's, I think it's one of those parts that's endlessly beautiful about a life of faith and spirituality, that it's, that it's, it's, it's not about yielding like the answer per se, but the answer really ends up being a perspective. It ends up being a way to take a step back and to see the whole in a way that's humble and kind. Now, folks, when we do that, when we do that, when we do that new flow, what, what could the new flow look like? Well, here's, here's an interesting idea. It could look at, yep, there's the given of disagreement. Of course, there's disagreement. No question about it. We will always disagree. Disagreement is not the problem. But instead of that thin membrane that lapses over into demonization of others, instead of that, love the Lord your God, love the person right in front of you. When we just take that simple, that simple command upon which all the law and the prophets hang, what it does is it moves over very beautifully into curiosity. I, I find that just so Beautiful. This beautiful shift over into curiosity. And then what does that curiosity create? Well, that curiosity creates new. And, and I, you know, we were wrestling with, well, what word should we use for that? I, 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 it's so tempting, you know, that, well, at the end of this, solution. You know, that, that you disagree, you're curious, you end up with a solution. Sometimes that might happen. Sometimes that might happen. But not all the time. Tensions we manage, problems we solve. There may just be times in which the the best we can do is to just come to new. And it's maybe a new perspective. It may be a new softening of our heart. It may be a new understanding where, where you're left with like, oh, they're lonely too. Boy, it's such a different way to see it. I think mean, God is much more in that way. Behold, God says, I make all things new. There's so many problems, right? When we, when we look at the Bible, there's so many problems that, that Jesus did not solve. But there's a perspective that somehow on our best days, I think we know at our core is the solution. So moving forward with this, folks, how do we do it? Three simple ways. The first one, die to (laughs) self-righteousness. So keep your moral clarity and keep it clear. Shine that baby up, get focused on that, put edges to that articulate it, let go of the self-righteousness. Let go of that part of the equation. Because that self-righteousness, that's where we get the need to be right comes from self-righteousness because it's all about protecting our ego. And it's not that being right is a problem. I mean, there are perspectives where I think people, you get to be right. You get to be right. You are right about that. The trick is that self-righteousness, it interjects kind of this ego need, need. I need to be right, no matter what. I mean, folks, it's an interesting sort of paradox, I guess, that that if, if we can be truly curious and humble, we can be right, because we know that the rightness is beyond us. There's no self to it. I want to say that again. We know the rightness is way beyond us. Way beyond us. Maybe that's why, you know, sacraments like weddings, baptisms, memorial services, we touch that for a minute, that that deep rightness of life, those those things that are true, those, those things that are really clear. Just for a minute we touch them. But there's nothing of our ego, there's nothing of a need to be right there. Hard to put that into words. But I think there's a soft edge that starts to appear. So number one, die to self-righteousness. And part of that is the pleasure of insanity. You know, we're just getting insane little arguments in our head, drop it, drop it as best you can. And the second one is higher power. So die to self-righteousness, appeal to a higher power. And higher power here, we're talking God, we're talking Jesus here. That, That higher power bit, folks, like, Again, and it's it's interesting, if you look at the two great commandments, love the Lord your God, love the person right in front of you, in other words, love your neighbor as yourself, it creates this beautiful identity. It creates an identity for God. Love your God. Why love your God? Well, because God is love. Why love your neighbor? Because as we said a few weeks ago, the inmost of all human beings, the inmost of all human beings is mutual love. Love yourself. Because we get to see, folks, if you think of it like a like a like a triangle there, we get to see that within us is this made in the image and likeness of God part. Caveat, I always throw in there, it doesn't make us God at all. It just means that God has given us gifts. And it also means that my neighbor, my friend, even my enemy. That there's part of their love that connects with me as well. And that my love can go out both directions. And it can create this beautiful cycle. Beautiful cycle. So again, not just a command, folks, but, a, but an identity where we, where we really learn to, to live in that kind of love in that kind of love. And the last one, folks, and this is, this is probably the most challenging one, I think, and probably probably where, probably where we can gain the highest leverage because it's very doable, very hard, extremely hard, but very doable, is this idea of goodwill. This is from Emanuel Swedenborg. Spiritual power is to desire the well-being of another, and desire to give to another as far as possible what is within you. Spiritual power is the desire is to, is to desire the well-being of another person. See, self-righteous moral clarity. How, when we're in that place, how do we define power? It's an over-against. It's a battle. What's the power though? What's true spiritual power? true spiritual power is understanding yeah the disagreement is a given the disagreement is absolutely a given but i'm going to bring my goodwill to it i'm going to bring my good will as a band comes out think think about how that might what that might mean folks because we desire that well-being of another person it's just, it just means we're stepping into it and we're just so clear. Again, this is an important part of moral clarity, critical part of moral clarity that the self-righteous part of us cannot get. Self-righteous moral clarity cannot understand this concept. Moral clarity can understand this. Yeah, I, no matter what, I really wish you well. Imagine answering an angry email from someone who's upset with you. And what you're able to do sincerely, with no tone, no, no snarkiness, nothing, you're just able to sincerely say, I wish you well. Contempt and malicious distortions can't exist in that world. They can't breathe in it. That's so much the promise. That's so much what we're asked to do in life. And when we come back, I wanna talk about the new world, some of those particular practices of dying to self-righteousness, acknowledging a higher power, practicing goodwill. What's the new world they can't create? Mm
2: Driven by love, peace, and understanding, giving a pass so the door
1: opens
2: wide, lifting the ones who mistakenly spun out of control. With an act of love for this universe, we're only here for a while. We walked together, forgiving the undeserving ones. We become the better, because we don't make it till everyone makes it home again. In an act of love for this universe, wherever you go, show a little tenderness. Watch for the signs you could easily miss Those despised, all those dismissed And lived out again all the time you have left give away the best of yourself to us all then you would know which way to go with no compromise in an act of love for this universe be the kind of man takes another hand to the promised land you may be the only one who can don't hold on to things let go of those things get over yourself with some act of love wherever you go show the signs you could easily miss, all despised and to all those dismissed and left out again.
3: Good morning, everybody,
0: and welcome to New Church Live. It's easy when we're watching from home and sitting on our sofas to forget to donate. No buckets being passed when you're on your sofa. I know myself, I've been guilty of this. Please remember, your contributions are what make today
3: possible and all the other services and programs that are provided by New Church Live. And it's easy. Simply text the word New Church Live, all one word, to 77977. Thanks so much, and we appreciate your support.
0: little video. Yeah, folks, so, so let's just imagine this new world. I, I was thinking about when, when things can surprise us, right? When God surprises it. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, you know, God is the God of surprises. And, and here's one. This is an ancient story that, that I think is beautiful to close on. This is Moses' famous old, old hero of old. This is a story thousands of years old. He's, he's run away, he's out in the desert, but he's managed to create a little life out there and there he gets the call from God. He's literally like hiking through the desert with his, with his, with his sheep, he's a shepherd, and, and this, is, this is what happens. Famous story of the burning bush, if you're not familiar with it. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, think desert there, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and did not burn up. So Moses went out thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. That's the line I'm going to look at, is that idea of this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from the bush, said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And I I like that idea. I think think what God calls us a lot of the time to is a strange sight. Like, this is strange, but I kind of know it's true. Matter of fact, I kind of like it. Somehow it resonates with something deep inside of us, this strange sight of this world that maybe could shift away from high conflict and just conflict, just talking about conflict, into a world of problem solving, keeping our moral clarity, keeping our point of view, but letting go of that neediness, that self-righteous neediness to be right, and is really able to dive into life in, in brand new ways. And then, folks, then the shift becomes this. Then the shift becomes on problem solving, not on conflict anymore. I mean, just imagine, you know, just let's just picture it as a a relationship, which I think we all are on many levels, right? But just picture of it as a relationship, if with a husband and wife, for example, and and here there's just this conflict that keeps on going back and forth. They're sitting on opposite sides of the table, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What if figuratively this, and maybe literally? I mean, we could try it. You could try it at home. Couldn't hurt anything. Maybe this strange sight could be this. Let's think of a brand new paradigm. Instead of sitting at other sides of the table having an argument, having a conflict, let's scooch around so we're all sitting on the same side of the table and we're holding the conflict, the problem here. In other words, the conflict is no longer between two people. I mean, obviously there'll be some of that, right? but we've now learned to sort of objectify it a little bit, to hold it just a little bit out there and to know here's one point of view for solving it, here's another point of view for solving it, but we're a team. What God has yoked together, what God has joined together, let no one put asunder. Think about that. It's a very different way of holding it. And that, folks, creates new worlds. I mean, I really do believe that. See, see, humanity, all of us, we have this immense capacity for antagonism and conflict, immense capacity for it, all of us do. And we also have this immense capacity for solidarity. Now, I think that's because we're spiritual beings, so, you know, we sort of have one foot in the lesser angels of our nature, one foot in the better angels of our nature, you know, and that's 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 how how God has it set up so that we can choose. And this this life is about learning to choose more and more well. But there's a world out there where we can where we can really try to recapture this solidarity. And that world, folks, I think it's I think one thing about it is it's it really has this contagious curiosity to it. Again, and, and I want to reiterate that. That it's able to be that way because we're just we're clear what's right. right? It's not we're not arguing, we're not arguing that. We're we're clear with we have a certain moral clarity, but we know that, that God's got it. Let's be curious about how to solve problems. Here's an idea: curiosity and the understanding of complexity it gives rise to becomes contagious. Conflict can be contagious, and so can curiosity. I mean, have you ever been around a great dinner conversation where everybody's just really curious about everybody else? I know at at Sermon Writing Team this last week, we just did a basic one. You've heard me share this question before. It's a question I love to share around the table. Who's on your heart today? It just creates this contagious curiosity, empathy, compassion, deeper understanding. It's not just about conflict anymore. That's the world I think God is calling us to, where there's no more demonization, where we're not getting narrower and narrower and in a way getting simpler and simpler about how we see other people. It actually allows for there to be a much greater breadth of how we hold others, which is exactly what Jesus would ask us to do, I believe. And we start to see things, folks, in a different way. Now, what does that world look like when we really stop demonizing other people, where we really look at the world and go like, okay, here's a problem to solve, and here's a problem to solve. Here's a problem to solve around somebody who lost a wedding ring. Here's a problem to solve around the boy who stole it. Take a look at this video. We end this Friday night at a bar where compassion is always on tap. Steve Hartman stopped in on
3: the road. Generally speaking, bars are not bastions of grace and kindness. But here at Jimmy's in Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina, owner Jimmy Gilles believes there's a lot more to serving customers than a good poor. As we first reported a few months ago, he went way above and beyond for one patron, a total stranger who lost her wallet here last month with her wedding ring inside. And she was frantic, um, really upset about it, so it just became my mission. His mission to find her ring began with a thorough screening of the security footage. He had to watch three hours before finally finding her wallet on a bench outside the bar, the one at the far left, with the shady character approaching. Eventually, Jimmy figured out who that was and got him to confess to taking the cash and dumping the wallet in this ocean channel. It was long gone. But you still won't let this go. After I invested all that time, I'm gonna find the rain. So I hired divers to come out the next day. You hired divers? (laughs) Yeah, divers. Divers, who scoured the seabed and eventually surfaced with a soggy wallet and an irreplaceable treasure. Jimmy went so far beyond what most of us would do for a stranger. And yet, even after solving the mystery, he still felt the need to do more. Not for the woman who lost the wallet, but for the thief who took it. He was living in the woods, and this was when it was 30 degrees outside. And he hadn't eaten in two days. I could tell he wasn't a criminal. He's just somebody needed a little help. 17-year-old Rivers Prather was estranged from his mother. He'd been trying to make it on his own, but was homeless the day he stumbled into Jimmy's life.
2: I couldn't have been luckier. Most other people would have just, you know, gave the footage to police, and he chose to help me. He's made me
3: part of his family. Literally, part of his family. Rivers moved into Jimmy's house with his fiance and kids. For work, he helps out around the bar, where he recently got caught on camera again. Yeah, he thought Jimmy would appreciate him relocating a baby raccoon from the garbage, unaware of just how unappreciative the mother raccoon would be. Fortunately, he wasn't hurt. And the good news is, he's at least trying to return the favor. I'd do anything for him. When that wallet got stolen by a homeless kid, Jimmy Galise could have called on police, courts, or social services. But instead, he called on the best problem solver of all, the compassion within. Steve Hartman, on the road, in Wrightsville
0: Beach, North Carolina. We love updating these stories. That is the CBS Evening News. I'm Jeff Glore. We'll see you Monday. Good night. Have a great weekend. Boy, what a, what a powerful video. I like, you know, who hires a diver? Two of them. Well, that guy does. Who takes in a troubled teenager? Well, that guy does. Folks, that's moral clarity. It's not self-righteous moral clarity. That's being really clear. And that's taking that clarity and bringing it to solve problems in the world. See, we have a choice, right? We can always live, whether whether it's in our homes or whether it's in our communities, whether it's in our nation. We always have the choice. Where are we going to live? Are we going to live in the conflict, believing that is all that exists? or are we going to live a different way? You know, a way that is much more about solving problems. It's much more about how do we pull people together? You know, a beautiful one that that somebody sent out from Michigan that I loved. I think the new church says like-minded people can enjoy being in communication, but still appreciate other mindsets. Like a hand appreciates an arm. And there's, there's beauty in that. Like that's, that's the world we wanna create. That's the world we can choose to create. And if right now in our heads is going off, well, I'd love to create that world, except for them. <laughs> you missed the point of the sermon, you gotta rewatch it from the beginning. I, I think it's, it's much softer and much more beautiful and much, much, much more powerful than that. We see videos like that and we know, yeah, that's the world we're really called to. That's the world we're supposed to live in. It's not simple. It's not perfect. I'm sure it's not a happily ever after. That's a young teenager who's had a troubled past. I'm sure that there'll be many bumps in the road ahead. But so what? So what? There'll be love. Love the Lord your God. Love the person right in front of you. Amen. That simple. Hmm. So friends, what we're going to do now is a couple of things. And I, a, little, a little sort of interlude here is uh, we're going to try something a little different at New Church Live. Again, we know that we have a lot of people who watch like 98% of our audience is, is online now or, or maybe even 99 by now. I don't know. But huge percentage so we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to have some conversation with somebody they love who they might have watched with, or if you've done a watch party, a group you might have watched with. So what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks is, is just put a list of questions up that you can look at and have a conversation with and just have some fun with and just their conversations about the sermon itself, just so you can keep the conversation going and maybe it'll, maybe it'll help give us all a little more clarity as we continue to think Not just hearing the message that God has so so graciously given us about love God, love the person right in front of you, but most importantly, how do we live that? How do we live that beautiful concept? So with that, friends, what we're going to do now is now we're going to pull the service to a close. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to offer a little prayer, a little blessing, and then we'll have a little moment of quiet reflection followed by our last song. So please join me. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for all that you have brought brought to us this day in terms of the people in our lives, the opportunity to serve, the lessons from your word, the ways we can maybe see life with more curiosity, a contagious curiosity that builds solidarity, that helps us to solve problems and moves us away from just the idea that conflict is an end of itself. Lord, we're not praying today for an end to disagreement because we know that will never happen. (laughs) What we pray for is a way to hold disagreement differently in a way that actually generates life, kindness, humility, hope, and better solutions for our troubled world. Thank you for your presence here today May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his eyes upon you, bring you peace and bring you home. Amen. Have a wonderful week, friends.
1: Try and see it my way Do I have to keep on talking Till I can't go on While we see it your way There's a chance that we might fall apart Before too long We can work it out We can work it out Think of what you're saying We you get it wrong And still you think that it's alright what I'm saying. We can work it out and get it straight or say goodnight. We can work it out. We can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time for fussing. Time will tell if I am right or I am wrong. So I will see it your way, run the risk of knowing that our love will soon be gone. We can't work it out. We can't work it out.